I'm Brian Scordato, and this is the Idea to Start a Podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. We accelerate ideas into real companies through the Tacklebox membership, and we think through startup strategy every Wednesday on the Idea to Start Up Podcast. You're here because you're thinking about an idea, or you're ready to launch something, or you already launched something and you're running full steam ahead. We're here to help with the counterintuitive stuff. On to it. Today, we're going to talk about a great thing for you to be great at, or at the very least, hyper aware of, thrust and drag. These are the two components of momentum, the thing that's required for you to create anything of consequence. Most people leave thrust and drag to chance, which means they leave momentum to chance. We won't do that. It is too important. I put post-its on my monitor to remind me of things I think are worth being reminded of. I change these pretty frequently. For example, right now I have Jerry Seinfeld's quote, you got to put the ox in the plow every day, dead center, because at the moment I need a little bit of a kick in the butt on the daily exercise thing because it's winter and I'm a new dad and I'm getting softer in the middle than little man's tummy time pillow. This is next to a post-it with a Taylor Swift quote, which has nothing to do with momentum or startups, but I heard it the other day, quote, and you realized I'm harder to forget than I was to leave. Whew, what a line. Take that Jake Gyllenhaal. The point is these post-its come and go, except one. That one says thrust and drag. It's been there for a few years, rewritten on different color post-its every month or two to make sure it never blends into the background. It is too important. And to get into thrust and drag, we've got to start with the time I almost drowned during a triathlon. For that, we've got to go to Staten Island in the summer of 2014. At some point in my late 20s or early 30s, basketball just stopped being fun. I'd played in college and that skill level spilled over for a few years, but by those late 20s and early 30s, basketball was just frustrating. I couldn't do what I used to be able to do and that drained the game of any fun. So I stopped playing. I needed something to fill the void, and a good friend mentioned that he was running a sprint triathlon in Staten Island in a few weeks and that I should join him. It was a short swim, he said, just a half mile, and then a 12-mile bike and a 3.2-mile run. Piece of cake. He said I wouldn't even have to train. And the swim was parallel to the shore. It wasn't like we were swimming out into the middle of the ocean. I signed up. I had the intention of finding a pool to swim in before the race. I hadn't swam a lap since I think I was seven, but pools in New York City are harder to find than Jake Gyllenhaal's self-esteem after a Taylor Swift burn, so I showed up to the race sort of hoping I'd just remember how to do it. How hard could swimming be? My friend had loaned me a wetsuit, and I jumped in the water next to 200 other very serious-looking triathletes, all looking focused and running through their pre-race rituals and breathing techniques. Arizona Bridge and the New York skyline in the distance. I began to wish I'd at least watched a YouTube video on how to swim or something. The starter shot off the gun and it was chaos. People pushing and grabbing me, arms and legs akimbo, gallons of fresh Hudson water filling my mouth. I popped up, gasping for air, seeing I was already in last place. Fine, I thought. It'll give me a little space to get reacquainted with my crawl stroke. I tried it out, swimming for maybe 45 seconds, furiously kicking and pumping my arms until it felt like my chest was going to explode. I rolled over to float on my back for a little bit to catch my breath, then rolled back onto my stomach to swim. I did this maybe three or four times until a safety kayaker came over to check on me. I think I was making a scene. You good? He asked. Sure, I gasped. I'm just completely exhausted. I don't know if I'm going to make it. You might have to drag me in on your kayak. Dude, he said. You're in like four feet of water. Just stand up. 
Embarrassed, I put my legs down and hit bottom, half my torso sticking up like a big dumb buoy. Uh, yeah, thanks. Just walk to the end if you can't swim, he said. And I did. There's a picture of the race with everyone getting out of the water to get on their bikes while I'm still 300 yards back, walking in waist-deep water in my wetsuit with my arms up over my head like I'm afraid to get my nipples wet. It was a real scene. After the race, I decided I was going to stick with it and do some more triathlons, but obviously I needed to learn how to swim. I eventually found an Olympic pool way up on the Upper East Side that gave beginner lessons at 5 a.m. At my first lesson, my instructor told me to swim down and back just to see my stroke. I made it maybe 20 yards before stopping, completely spent. Okay, she said, hop out. I sat on the side of the pool, wheezing as she asked me a question. Have you ever stuck your hand out the window of a car? Sure, I said, and I did the motion we all do in the car, the rolling with the homies hand roll thing from Clueless. So you've noticed the difference in wind pressure when your palm is facing up versus when your palm is facing down. Of course, I said, remembering how the air would pound your hand when it was raised but barely impact it when it was parallel to the ground. Well, she said, water is 1,000 times denser than air, and when you swim, your whole torso sinks down so your legs are three feet deeper than your head. You are creating enormous friction. No matter how strong you are, no matter how hard you pump, you are never going to be able to swim anywhere. Think about a speedboat. It just sits on top of the water. That is what you need to do. There are only two ways to move really fast, she said. You can increase thrust or you can reduce drag. Nearly everyone alive has all the thrust they'd ever need to swim fast and long. The real delta comes from removing drag. Over the next two months, we focused on just that. The key was understanding that all of my air was held in my lungs, meaning the top of my body would float easily. My legs were dead weight, so they'd sink. If I focused on pushing my chest down in the water, it was like pushing on a buoy. My chest wouldn't sink, it was way too buoyant, but the pressure would lift my legs naturally, so I basically lay flat on the surface. No more drag. It was uncomfortable and counterintuitive. Getting good was way more about the nervous system and practice than strength. The secret was to kick and stroke as little as possible. That's what got you tired. Swimming isn't your arms and legs churning like a big engine, my teacher said. It's you quietly slipping by on the top of the water, your arms and legs rotating you side to side to remove as much friction as possible. Swimming should be like gently pushing a block of ice to keep it sliding on a frozen pond. It all started to click. Removing the drag made it feel like I was slipping through the water, not fighting it. A few months in, I could swim for two miles straight, no problem. Before the lessons, I couldn't make it the length of the pool. Remove drag to create momentum. Today, we'll talk about thrust and drag. We'll talk about momentum and inertia, about how similar working on a startup is to learning how to swim. Working on your own business is multiples denser than working a regular job. The stakes are higher, the emotional component is multiplied, and the timeframes are shrunk. Drag is going to kill you. Specifically today, we're going to talk about internal thrust and drag, your system for working on your business. Next week, we're going to talk about external thrust and drag, how to leverage inertia to get more customers and build products they love and use. And we'll start after a little smooth jazz. This is the Idea to Start a Podcast brought to you by the Tacklebox membership. We will help your idea grow as a business and we will help you grow as an entrepreneur and a person who can do interesting and hard things. And today I want to invite you to Uncomfy Hour. It's one of the things we do with our members that seems to be helpful, at least for some of them. We show up on Zoom, usually in the evenings, usually at 7 p.m. Our entrepreneurs come with something they've been avoiding, something uncomfortable, something they know they need to do but just haven't gotten to yet. 
Then we all get on Zoom, say hello to each other, say the thing we're gonna get done, and then put our heads down and work for the rest of the hour. Microphones on mute, cameras on. If this sounds weird, that's because it is for a few minutes, and then it's great. You'll knock out something you've been dreading, and most importantly, you'll hold the time sacred for your idea. We're going to try an uncomfy hour with podcast listeners. Email team at gettacklebox.com with the subject uncomfy, and we'll add you to the list and let you know when we're doing it. Startups are uncomfortable. Might as well do them together. Back to it. We've worked with hundreds of founders at this point who probably could have built something interesting, but didn't because they lost momentum. These are the people who break my heart. They worked on their idea for a few weeks or months, and then something happened. Either they reached a point where they'd have to jump out of their comfort zone, or stuff got busy at work, or they just missed a few days and then a few more, and all of a sudden, it seemed harder to pick things back up than to move on. This lull happens to every entrepreneur during the early days, but only a small group make it through. Those are the ones that manage thrust and drag well, the ones that don't lose momentum or can create it fast. The first thing to remember is that your momentum problem will not be solved by doing more things or adding thrust. It'll be solved by structurally removing things, reducing drag. This is cognitively tricky because removing stuff is not how we think about solving problems. Culturally, solve means add, which is a big reason the post-it is on my monitor as a reminder because this is so counterintuitive. And I mean the thrust and drag post-it, not the Taylor Swift one. Hall, if you listen to Idea to Startup, and I assume you do, You got burned, pal. Anyway, the post-it is to remember that drag is the problem, not thrust. Here is what that actually looks like. When our founders joined Tacklebox, the first thing we pushed them to do is run a bunch of customer interviews. Even if it's something they've already done, even if it's something they don't think they need to do, we've got a very specific approach and it works. It is worth the time. If you're working on an idea, you know this is what you should do too, but you probably got an enormous amount of drag around it, so you probably don't do it. On our end, there are a few sneaky reasons for having our founders do this. It's hard and uncomfortable, which means we get to see how our founders handle hard and uncomfortable. It's a great test for acquisition channels, so we get to see how hard it's going to be for them to actually get in front of their customer. And we get to hear directly from the customer's mouth about the problem, how painful it is, how frequent, how urgent, and how they solve it now. This helps us give way better advice. After a few weeks of customer interviews, we have a great feel for the entrepreneur and their customer. After about four weeks of working with our founders, I can pretty much guarantee who's going to be successful and who isn't. But again, this stuff is uncomfortable. And when something is uncomfortable, when there's drag, the answer is to create systems, to remove the cognitive load. The place we start with customer interviews is to have the entrepreneur write an email to 50 or 100 friends, BCCing them all, saying that they're pursuing a business idea and describing the type of person they'd like to run an interview with. If their friends and family know anyone like this, could they please send an intro? Our thinking is this reduces drag. It's way more comfortable than sending 100 cold emails, or it should be. It's supposed to ease them in. But lots of founders balk at it. One in particular emailed me a few months ago, quote, Brian, I have tried to send the email to 100 people and I just can't. I hate asking for favors and I hate bothering everyone. And what if they ping me in six months and ask how it went and my business had failed? I know this is going to sound nuts, the email continued, but would you hop on a Zoom call with me for an hour? You won't have to say anything. Just be on the Zoom. And during that hour, I'll get the email drafted and sent. The accountability of you being there will force me to do it. Sure, I said. I did some work while I had my Zoom camera on. 
Great entrepreneurs notice things other people don't, then build solutions to those things they've noticed that naturally align with the problem. That is what this founder did. They noticed drag and they built a system to remove it. And that is where Uncomfy Hour came from. We started offering this service to the rest of our members, an hour a couple of nights a week where we all meet and do the things that'll remove drag, the things we've been dreading, the things that are holding us back. We ask our founders to be hypersensitive around the stuff they're avoiding or the stuff that takes asymmetric amounts of effort. This usually is drag. This tends to be everything around outreach. Our founders spend hours creating great content, but then are afraid to spend an equal amount of time figuring out how to promote that content so that people will actually see it. They painstakingly build a landing page, then don't share it with everyone they've interviewed. They're churning their arms at 100 miles per hour, but their legs are sunk feet below the surface. And this drag compounds. If you make a piece of content you're proud of, but don't spend any time circulating it, of course you aren't going to get any signups to your website. But you stop creating content because the last piece of content you created didn't get you any signups. Or you track the number of views you get or the number of emails and are discouraged by that number. But you never gave the content a chance because giving it a chance would have been uncomfortable. That is drag. If you can't remove the drag through a system you've built that increases accountability, I always recommend paying to remove drag. There is no better use of money. That could be paying someone to build triggers that make sure your content is blasted to channels and email lists on Fiverr, or a PR person who will pitch your content to clubs and schools across the country, or a coach to keep you honest. If drag is sharing your work, you need to find ways to remove that drag or you're not going to get anywhere. As always, drag is usually emotional, not rational. Next week, we're going to talk about removing drag for customers, but this is a great opportunity to slide in an example. It's clear as day to me that our customers at Tacklebox have a ton of drag around customer interviews, finding people, getting them to talk, synthesizing the right info from those interviews. For us to build a killer product, we would ideally have to remove the majority, if not all, of that drag. Great entrepreneurs tend to identify the drag of their customers and remove it. Helping people do hard things that matter is the goal of any business. One of the best entrepreneurs I've ever met talks about thrust and drag a lot. She's got three exits under her belt and has raised tens of millions of dollars, and she certainly is still not above thrust and drag, nowhere near. She has a technique to reduce drag that she calls the Da Vinci Code method, named after the short chapters that make everyone feel like a genius when they're binging through the Da Vinci Code because half the pages were just blank. She gave me an example once. She absolutely hates creating copy for Facebook ads. It is way harder than it should be and uncomfortable and seems like it can always be pushed. This is a sticking point for lots of people. Creating ad copy or landing page copy or cold email copy is hard. So she holds an hour for it and creates a Da Vinci Code to-do list to make sure it happens. Here is what that to-do list looks like. One, put phone upstairs and plug it into the wall. Two, make a T. Three, close all the browser windows on your computer. Four, open up a Word doc. Five, describe to customers that love our product. Describe why they love our product, what they tell their friends about it, what they'd miss about it if we took it off the market. Six, from that, write out 10 possible two-sentence ads that they would have clicked on before they knew about the company. Seven, email three versions to 20 loyal customers asking them for their thoughts, which ad is most compelling. Eight, send the winners to my VA to turn them into social ads. 
She says that when she makes lists like this, it feels like she's checking items off and making progress, and before she knows it, she's nearly done with the task. The structure, breaking an intimidating task into a few manageable tasks to remove drag, works to build momentum. Instead of coming up with 10 ideas for Facebook ads from scratch, there's a process that helps her get momentum to do the hard thing. Instead of dreading the start, she knows that she's going to ease into it. She can make a cup of tea, remove her phone, open up a doc, build momentum. Movement creates movement. She's got lists like this she continues to tweak for all the things she hates but can't outsource. The tricky part is always recognizing where the drag is in the first place, then creating a system to remove it, figuring out how to spread out that pressure. You've heard this sort of tip before. When you wake up, put on your running clothes immediately because it's way more likely you'll run and you'll feel weird if you're eating breakfast in your Viore gear. And it's true. Little things break away at the drag. As soon as you start thinking in terms of thrust and drag, you're going to see it everywhere. I just went into the kitchen to get a snack and my wife and I pre-pack a bunch of healthy snacks on Sundays. So I grab the container with carrots and a little jar of honey mustard and I'm good. This only happened because after the baby was born, we fell into an eat-anything-you-want trap for a little bit, which is fine, but that is a drag on health. So we remove it by building a system that makes it easier to eat healthy stuff than unhealthy stuff. We'll wrap up this portion of Thrust and Drag by helping you raise money from angel investors. This might seem a little wonky and a bit of a departure from the rest of the episode, but it is another use of Thrust and Drag, and once you understand it, it'll make sense. If you're doing something like raising money, it really helps to understand where momentum for the person you would theoretically be raising the money from would break, so that you can build for it. So, if I'm pitching angels who I have no contact with, I want to think about what type of angel has the least amount of drag for the type of business I'm pitching. The way to think about this is to reverse engineer and start from a yes. So, think about the exact moment someone decides to write you a 25k check. What does that look like? If I was pitching a cognitive behavioral therapy startup, here's what the moment probably looks like in the words of an investor. Quote, I'd never met this founder, but a good friend sat along their pitch deck and highly recommended them. The email had a quick one-liner. It was about CBT for chronic back pain, something I've suffered from for years, so I was immediately interested. The email had a link to sign up for a call, so I did. We hopped on a 20-minute call, and before the call, they sent a quick one-pager that showed exactly where they were and actually had a list of questions they thought I might want to ask. It made my life easy. We had a great chat, and they told me they'd keep me updated on a weekly email. After five weeks of continual progress in the emails, they asked me about my experience with chronic pain, and we had an hour-long phone call talking through it. At the end of that call, they asked if I would invest and asked if I'd take a little bit more equity to be an advisor. I jumped at the opportunity. That is an actual email from a friend of mine who recently invested in a CBT company when I asked them why they did. So that is the no drag version of the email. That is the person who made it through. Now it's useful to look at the inflection points, moments where there could have been drag that were removed by the entrepreneurs. One, the intro was from a trusted source. Two, the email was quick to the point and specific and it had an easy way to contact the entrepreneur. Three, the call was preceded by suggested questions for the angel, which ensured the entrepreneur was able to show the best side of the business and their depth of knowledge on the space. Four, there were weekly progress emails over five weeks. And five, there was an advisory offer to show this person was worth more than just money. 
Now your job is to figure out how to remove the drag, take out the friction from each of those touch points to back into people who this process will work for because it's the most likely outcome. To spend your time looking for this person and removing drag from their path rather than just pitching anyone, that will create drag for you. Identifying drag and removing it with a system is one of the best skills you can possess. We covered the internal drag this week. We're going to cover the customer stuff, the external drag, with a bunch of company examples, which might be more fun and maybe even more useful next week. Remove drag to create momentum. And Jake, buddy, man, what a burn. This was the Idea to Startup podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. If you've got a startup idea and a full-time job, let's design your life to build it. Apply at gettacklebox.com, and we can be working on your business together by the weekend. Have a great week.